Well, good morning, First Family. What a blessing to be together this morning, isn't it? Hey, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 5 in your Bible. I want to take you there. We're talking today about a passion for purity in the church. This continues our series that we've been doing the last couple of weeks about a passion for purity. First, we started on the outside and worked our, our inside and worked our way back a little bit further to the outside. This is somewhere in between there. A passion for purity in the church. Let's be clear, friends. The passion that we have for purity in our church pales in comparison to the passion that God has for purity in his church. Let's hope that we join him in that. Let's hope that we in our energy, in our zeal, in our enthusiasm for protecting the church, remember this really clear fact. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's his, not ours. It's on loan. We were talking about that earlier before the service started. Somebody asked me when this building was built. We moved into this building in the summer of 1954. We'll celebrate 70 years next summer, not this one, but the one that follows and we only had about 70 years before that that we were downtown. And you know what both locations have in common? They were the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. It is his church, not ours. He can protect it a whole lot better than we can. His passion for purity in it is far greater than mine. When we arrive in Acts, we arrive at the very beginning of the church. If you are one who has studied Acts, then you know this is a reality that exists. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit arrives in power on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 3, the apostles Peter and, and John heal a man on their way to pray one day. Acts chapter 4, they are before the Sanhedrin answering for that healing. And Acts chapter 5, we have a story it stands out as an example of God's passion for the purity of his church. Let's stand together and read from Acts chapter 5, the first 11 verses. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it remain with you? After it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why was it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him in wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet. And breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Let's pray together. 
Today, Lord Jesus, we hear your word and we receive it with joy. Not because this story, this narrative is good news, but rather because you, Lord Jesus, came to bring us good news. And your passion for us is exuded in your passion for your church. Today, Lord Jesus, it is our prayer that you would speak into each of our hearts and that this day would be one where we would hear from you boldly, clearly, and that you, Lord Jesus, would demonstrate your passion for purity in this church. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, what we have in this story is not, un, it's not atypical. We've seen this story before, haven't we? It's something that is sadly all too frequent. In the first six verses, we could have really stopped there. And oh, that we had, so it was only one death. But in the last five verses through to verse 11, we have a full picture of it. We have the hypocritical facade of Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know that I brought the picture with me. I hope I did. I want to take you, whether I have the picture or not, to Jordan, the country in Israel. It's over there, and I want you to write this name down and look it up later. Petra. Somebody is pulling out their phone right now to look it up. I don't blame you. Petra. P-E-T-R-A. It means rock. And it is a place that is in the middle of the desert. It is not some place that you just would happen upon. Even today, there are no roads taking you in. They are simply pathways that you ride in on. About two miles from the main road, there is a set of structures that was established some years ago, decades, centuries, millennia ago. You've seen it before if you've seen Indiana Jones on the Last Crusade. Anybody like Indiana Jones movies? Me too, me too. In Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Indiana is looking for the Holy Grail, and he goes to this one particular place. It's there, Petra. And when he gets there, you see the facade, and it is incredible. And then you go inside, and there's a cave. Well, this is a bit of movie magic, friends. And the real Petra, it's just a facade. It's all you have is the outside. They spend all of their time and their energy on the outside of the building. <laughs> it reminds me of a movie set. How about you? It's just beautiful on the outside. There's nothing inside. Have you ever received a Dr. Pepper that was sealed but empty. That's the same kind of deal. Can I tell you today, my friends, this is what we have in Acts chapter 5 today. Just a facade. Why? I want to suggest to you it's because of the powerful pull of pride. The powerful pull of pride is what we see in Ananias and Sapphira. They were so close to having it right. They were in the early church when it was not easy to be so. 
They were obviously involved in what was happening. They'd seen others give generously. Ananias' name, if, it's, if that's really his given name and not just a nickname, Ananias' name means God is gracious. They were so close to having it all right. And while we can't know their motives, it seems that they had seen what had happened in chapters 3 and 4 when people like Barnabas gave generously and received accolades and applause for that. They, apparently, wanted the same recognition of giving without, without the burden of generosity. They sold the property that belonged to them, and they brought some of it. Here, friends, is where it falls apart. I want to point out to you four mistakes to see their pride collapse. Four mistakes. And my hope and prayer in this is that maybe we'll look in the mirror and say, God, save me from that. Save me from making these same four mistakes. I don't want to walk down the same road. I don't want to fall dead in the church house like Ananias and Sapphira did. I don't want God's judgment to come upon me. Save me, God, from the powerful pull of pride that would suck me in. I want to avoid these mistakes. So let's talk about them. One, mistake one is a lust for recognition. Let's be clear. This land was theirs. They could have done anything they wanted with it. They could have done anything. And they did anything with it. They decided this is what they would do, but they didn't have to do it this way. They didn't have to sell it. It seems, according to what our friend Peter said in verse 3, that Satan energized them to deceive. The whisper into their ears, maybe it is familiar to you too. You can be so honored too. You can get that same recognition. Who's Barnabas to deserve it? You deserve it too. They wanted to be recognized. And let's be clear, friends, Satan is behind this whole thing. It's a part of his mistake from beginning. See, if Satan can't get at you from the, the outside, he'll come from within. He knows how to lie, deceive, and manipulate people in order to accomplish his purposes. Not only was the land theirs, but even once they sold it, they didn't have to say we gave all of it. They could have just said we gave half of it. We gave 75%. We gave 90%. Whatever it was, they didn't have to say that we gave it all. It was that lust for recognition that led them over the edge. Here's the second mistake lies to the Holy Spirit. Once sold, the money was still theirs, but they deceived, or so they thought, the Holy Spirit. Their sin was not directed at the people of the church. Their sin was an assault on God himself. Can I tell you today, my friends, lies to the Holy Spirit are destructive. I want to encourage you today to recognize these lies that might seem innocent at the time 
They're an assault on God and his throne. God does not take that lightly. Mistake number three, an overabundance of pride. Once laid before the apostles, Ananias had the chance to repent. See it in verse three again. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the spirit? This, friends, can be nothing more than the original mistake. In Isaiah 14, we see it. There you see the story of Satan's fall. Here we see it again. His pride, Ananias' pride, would not allow him to admit that he had lied, that he was wrong. His pride got in the way. Now, I know that's never happened to any of us. But let us guard ourselves that it doesn't. Mistake number four, a lack of willingness to repent. You see, once Ananias was dead, Sapphira had the choice. She didn't know her husband was dead. So when she comes in and she gets the same opportunity, how wise would it have been for her to say, you know what, on second thought, maybe this was a mistake. Would God have spared her life? I don't know. But I believe in God's mercy. I believe in his grace. I believe in his goodness. And I believe that he would have at least thought about it. See, the reality is when she joined in her husband's mistake, an unwillingness to repent, an unwillingness to let her pride down. That was the final straw. And she expired as well. I want you to underline verse 11. And great fear came upon all those who heard it. You think? If you're following our reading plan, then you've already read from Numbers 14. In Numbers 14, we have a similar story. Korah, one of the leaders in the, uh, the, the Israelite people, opposed Moses, opposed God, and said, you brought us out into the desert to die. And so Moses says, okay, everybody that's with me over on this side, everybody with Korah, go to that side. Korah and all his people are standing over one side, and Moses stands up and said, if God has spoken to me, then ground swallow them up. And that's exactly what happened. I don't suspect there were very many more rebellions after that. What do you think? I want to ask you, I want you to take this home with you because this is a constant, constant assault. Where does pride test you? Knowing it in advance can help me guard myself from Satan's attacks. You see, it's like our, our lovely associate missions pastor, Eva Diaz. I love Eva. She is a gift to us. And if you don't know her, you need to. She's an amazing lady. She has been fighting a battle in her home against squirrels. Now you might say, well, how, how difficult can it be? If you are asking that question, then you have never fought the battle of the squirrels. 
So she has used, and I'm using her terms here, her own ethnic ingenuity, we'll just let you go with it from there, to fight these battles against the squirrels with traps, with poison, with any tools she can find. And you know what she's found? Lots of places where the squirrels can attack, and she's tried to defend all of them. What if she said, what if she said, it's no big deal, I'll just let them have it? Well, that would be crazy, Darren. Where would they live exactly? But how many of us let Satan have full reign in our homes, in our hearts, in our minds, in our families? And we're like, oh, well, it's the price of doing business. No, if I know this is an area of weakness, then I need to be protecting myself from Satan's attacks in it. I need to find traps. I need to find ways I can defend myself. I need to find measures that I can, I can attack back, that I can at least give myself a puncher's chance. Can I tell you today, friends, I want you to ask yourself this question because it's vital to know. Where does pride test you? And if you would say to me, not at all, Darren. There it is right there. Arrogance. The belief that Satan won't test you there. He will. Let's move on to verse 11 one more time. And let's say this clearly. God has always been jealous for his own glory in the church. The mistake Ananias and Sapphira made was not about money. Let me say that again because I want to make sure you hear me. The mistake Ananias and Sapphira made was not about money. God doesn't need your money. He didn't need theirs. Some people think God's broke. Well, God ain't broke. He does not need what you have. But he does want who you are. And who you are is a bearer of his image. You bear the glory of God simply because he put it on you. What he wants is you to give that back, to proclaim his glory. You see, we have numerous examples in the pages of Scripture where God shows his passion for his church. In Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. These were the sons of Aaron, the first high priest. They thought they were exempt from the rules. They found out they were wrong. They received the same punishment that Ananias and Sapphira did. Death. In Joshua chapter 7, the battle of the city of Ai, Achan stole from the city, even though God had said, wipe them all out for his sin. The nation of Israel lost the battle. And as a result, Achan was revealed to be the reason his death made that a very clear show. Moving into the New Testament, when the Pharisees made great show of their giving in Luke 19, Jesus said they've already got their reward. When Herod claimed to be God in Acts chapter 12, 
he was struck down for his arrogance. The core fact is this. God's glory is the pillar and ground of the truth for the church. Each believer carries within him the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. This reason alone ought to cause us to hold ourselves to a higher standard in serving the Lord, realizing that this is a special thing to carry around the Holy Spirit within us. Let us be reminded yet again of what Hebrews 11 at the end of it says, our God is a consuming fire. Let us be reminded of the certain and clear end that is ahead for us in Revelation. And let us then be in mind that God is compelling us toward a purification process where we, 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 each of us are being sanctified. It's a beautiful word. Maybe you're not familiar with it. I want to introduce you to it again. If you've not heard of it, maybe you've forgotten about it. Sanctification, it's the process of me going from who I was to who Jesus wants me to be. That process is a messy one. It is anything but a straight line. But it is also one that says God is passionate about his own glory in the church and he wants me to offer it to him each and every day. I want you to take this home with you. It's a question that is both practical and theological. How do you see God and his glory? How do you see God? I want to end our time today with four things about how to be a spiritually pure church. Now, this is not a formula. In other words, it's not do these four things and you shall live. These are four of many elements, but these are four that I think really are highlighted in our reading today. Let's start here. Remember, there is no perfect church, only a church being perfected by the work of the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon, some years ago, London pastor who was very well known, he said, if you find a perfect church, don't join it, you'll spoil it. I think he was talking about me. Reality is, there is no perfect church. So when I invite people to come join us here at our church, and I hope you do too, sometimes they'll tell me, well, it's filled with a lot of hypocrites, and my answer is, you got that right. Not a one of us has it right. That's why we need the church. If we could get it all together, we wouldn't need the church. But because we can't, that's why we gather. To keep walking in the journey that God has given us. Maybe some of you saw the movie some years ago, Finding Nemo. It's one of my favorites. Finding Nemo is the story of Marlin, a, 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 a a clownfish whose son Nemo gets taken away by a group of divers and it's Marlon's process of going to find his son. There's a, another fish who joins him on the journey and this fish has a, a, a problem with memory loss. Dory is her name. She is the kind of individual that 
would make you cringe because she can't remember anything. Except one thing. Her motto. And it's something that we as a church and me personally have adopted. When the things get difficult, just keep swimming. You might say, well, that's not very, not very apropos for the desert, Darren. I think it's apropos for anywhere. Don't stop where you are. If you're hearing there is no perfect church as an assault on you, then don't receive it that way. Instead, receive it as a reflection on the fact that all of us are still being perfected. Here's a second way to be pure, spiritually pure church. Use God's blessings well. God asks us only to honor him with what we have. The prosperity so many of us have is a blessing, but it's also a responsibility. Let me just brag on you, church, for a minute. You do this well. We are blessed to have many that we can partner with, and indeed we do. We're blessed to have things that we can share with others that have been a blessing to it. Let me tell you about just one of them. You may remember back at Christmas time, we made a donation to the Baptist General Convention of Texas. We gave them some money and we said, give this to pastors wherever you find them who need a little bit of encouragement, need a little bit of support, and we did so. It's not boasting, I just, I'm going somewhere with this, so hang in there with us. I got a letter a couple of weeks ago. The letter came and it said, Darren, thank you for your church's generosity, just wanted to write to you. Here's where it gets crazy. The church and the pastor who wrote to me, about five miles from where I grew up. There's a little church that would be easy to miss. You could drive past the whole community and not even know you'd been there. I wrote back to that pastor and I said, let me tell you, friend, the pleasure is all mine. The place where you serve in Johnson County is a blessed place. Friends, let's make sure that we continue the path that God has started us on. A third way, deal decisively with sin. Taking a lax approach to sin is the death knell of a church. You'll know how serious you're taking sin by the distance between when you discover it and when you're willing to deal with it. Can I tell you today, friends, dealing decisively with sin takes us back to Psalm 51 where we started this series two weeks ago. If it's with God, then let that be the place where you go with a prayer like David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If the sin that you're dealing with is against someone else, go to Matthew 18. You'll find the formula there for how to deal with it. Either way, whether it's God or people, take a deliberate and decisive approach to sin to avoid the disaster that befell Ananias and Sapphira and so many others as well. This last one, it's one of the more challenging because it's also the least understood. Allow room for a reverent fear of God in this feel-good age. Uh, there's an idea that a fear of God is a bad thing. 
After all, God is our Father. He wouldn't want us to be afraid of him, would he? If I'm afraid of him, that means he's a spoiler. He's the ruination of all things fun and good. Nothing could be further from the truth. The only way to true joy is to live the way the Creator meant for us to live. The pleasures of sin are fleeting. Proverbs says it well. Stolen bread is sweet, but only for a moment. Then a man finds he has a mouth full of gravel. Sin tastes good for a moment, but it quickly slips away. Lasting joy, the very essence of what God made us for, can only be found in cooperation with God. When we recognize the power of sin to destroy, and we recognize God's plan to deal with sin, we can embrace the best God has for us and find ourselves protected from, from it. Fear, then, is our friend. It keeps us inside the pasture God planned for us. Here's what I want you to take home with you last. One of the biggest mistakes that Ananias and Sapphira made was believing that they could ignore purity and that God would just get along. Things would go on as they always had. The only difference would be they would be lauded for their generosity. Friends, I want to encourage you today to recognize God is calling us today as we prepare for Easter to ready our hearts and minds by seeking purity, not just for ourselves, but for our church as well. My prayer is that you will respond with your part by saying, God, make me pure. It's not a difficult prayer to pray, but it's a difficult one to live. Maybe you need to speak to the Lord about that today. We're going to give you a chance to do that in just a moment. This altar will be open for that purpose. My prayer is that you would use it. Perhaps you need to go talk to someone. Whether they're in this room or this building or not, don't let the sun go down on this. If God has whispered in, get that right, then he intends for you to do exactly that. My prayer today is that you'll respond because the good news of Jesus Christ is simple. Jesus came to forgive you no matter what you've done and to give you back the purity that he meant for you to have. Are you willing to meet him halfway? Let's pray together. So Jesus, today, today is a gift, and we receive it with joy. We receive it with joy because you mean for us to. When we talk about a passion for purity for the church, Lord Jesus, we've gathered for that today. That's why we came. But Lord, today, my prayer is that you would call us to a new step new step of obedience to you. 
My prayer, Lord Jesus, is that the passion for the purity of this church that you have would spill over onto us. May we not settle for less than, less than that. It's not that we're afraid, Lord, that you'll strike us dead. God knows you could have already done that. Our fear, though, Lord, is that we'll miss the best you mean for us to have. And almost as bad, we'll miss getting to share that good news with others. I pray today, Lord, for all of us to find the my one you've given to us. Will you do, Lord Jesus, your work here among us today, now, in this invitation time? And will you, Lord, because of who you are, do that now? We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.